Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the biter to my walker. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, feeling good. Feeling, our, uh, feeling on my toes. And our very own zombie. That's right. It's uh, I almost said Eric Ronovic, no. but it's not. It's Brett Hancock. Brett, coming Hi. in coming in hot while Eric's on vacation. Brett, how you doing? Good. You guys just can't get rid of me. I just wait yeah. to be called. I'm just like that. I'm that sleeper-free agent, you know, selling I, car insurance. Producer Brett has become Booth Brett. I, I put yeah. I put uh, my my fingers onto my right arm to call for the righty, you know, and then mm-hmm. Brett came out. Brett came out from the stadium. It played bad to the bone. Yeah, from uh, California penal. Let's you, go. You, you should have said, man. You should have said like, uh, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Gerald Everett to my Will Disley, and then we could have Brett be uh, Luke Wilson because you know, no matter what happens, we just keep bringing him back. Jeez, thanks, right. Kevin. <laughs> so rookie wow. minicamp uh, was this week, and so I wanted to go over a couple of uh, common common storylines, maybe some rookie minicamp thoughts. I have one big thought, but I'll save it for the end. Okay, so the first thing I wrote down is, um, which of these end of the wa- roster wide receivers is everyone going to fall in love with? Every year, the Seahawks, um, there's one wide receiver during training camp, uh, whether it's the good old... Uh, Ja- was it Jazz Ferguson? Cason Williams? Jazz Ferguson? The, oh, this yeah. is, Name them. There's a lot of legends that have just kind of uh, taken over the hearts and minds of the of the 12s. And and so what I want to do is to say there's a lot of them this year. There's a lot of options for which end of roster wide receiver. You know, you got Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, John Ursua, uh, Tamorian Terry, Cade Johnson, Cotter Wedgington. Like, I think there's only really four guys who are locked in right now. Metcalf, Lockett, Eskridge, and Swain. And then there's like seven guys fighting for two spots. And so what, which of these end of roster wide receivers, and you could pick Ursua. I feel like he has taken some hearts and minds already, but, but uh, which of these guys is going to be the, uh, the, the fan favorite that everyone's going to just not, not shut up about, <laughs> about the end of the, of the thing. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? You know, the thing about John Ursua is you can't pick a 10th year veteran to be your rookie mini camp breakout I mean, guy. He hasn't been in the NFL for 10 years, but he has been playing at least college football for 10. He's so, also probably going to be in uh, extended COVID protocol, you know, due to uh, his advanced age. So we don't know if he's going to. He, he, he will turn 28 before the end of this season. Kind of. I do <laughs> hope that we hang on to him so he qualifies for his pension. That's all. Uh, uh, I yeah. think it's going to be Connor Weddington. Local kid. Um, played in a Pac-12 school, uh, freakish athleticism. So he's going to have some plays that like absolutely flash. And so uh, he'll have some weird touchdown in the first preseason game where everyone thinks he's going to be able to get open on the sideline the entire season, even though he beats, you know, Bobby Slapsticks from left Texas, Annie. And so uh, like he, he's a guy who could work somebody who doesn't know what they're doing just because he's going to be able to out athletic some people. So I think he's a really good candidate. All right. Uh, Brett, what do you, th- I almost, dude, I almost said Eric again. It's, it's that's like, okay. a, my brain uh, is okay. like, I've trained my brain he's too in hard. Your head man. <laughs> I, was, I was rightfully offended I'm, by it the first well, couple hundred verbal, times, but now I've just accepted verbal, it, so. verbal meme, uh, Wolverine sitting in the bed, uh, but it's me, <laughs> but it's me. And I'm holding a picture of Eric. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay go, I mean, go now ahead. I'm offended. I think it's going to be a, a Tamorian, a Terry. Is that how you say uh, his first yeah. name? Because he's tall and he's played a lot, 
Uh, and dude, tall being tall in the preseason is like a guaranteed that somebody watching is going to go like, well, why can't they just do that every time? Just do that every time. And so, yes, he will be the case in Williams and the Jazz Ferguson. Uh, Jazz Ferguson, definitely because the height, weight, speed guy with like, oh, oh yeah, questionable totally skills. Somebody. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll get excited. So I'm not, you know, I'm not judging people who are gonna like freak out about this dude if he catches two passes or something. But I, did you see him high point on that five seven corner? <laughs> That's right. The, I'm going with Kay Johnson. I'm actually gonna we're gonna go three for three on the uh, undrafted free agents here. Right. Uh, but I like Kay Johnson because. Uh, this is a guy that's always open uh, when he faced inferior competition at the lower level. And in the preseason, he's probably going to face a lot of inferior competition and he will be always open because that's what he does when he, uh, when he faces that. So, so there you go. We, we're, we're totally split on this one. And Eric, I got this text from Eric. It says he picks uh, Cody Thompson. So it looks like we're uh four for nice. four. Not a all, single running back. Wow. All split. Well, it, it had well, to out be of the back receiver. end wide receivers. Yes. We did oh, sorry. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> Those two Ladies and gentlemen, the final appearance from producer Brad. <laughs> Are you saying Travis Homer's lining up in the slot this year? We're going to use him like a little bit like how we, we used. Uh... We put J.D. McKissick out there, bro. We yeah, can do it. Yeah, well, it's because yeah. J.D. McKissick should have been a wide receiver. So All right. is it going to be DJ Max. Dallas because we only do it to people with initial names? Another great rookie minicamp story. Uh, Darrell Taylor and and how he's basically a coach on the field because he did all of the rookie minicamp stuff last year. Uh, That's right. How do you how do you like that story, Kevin? That's my favorite story that keeps coming out from rookie minicamp because it's everything's like they just had him go over and run the drill because he'd already seen the drill. They just had him go over and do this. And I'm like, stop trying to sell me on the fact that you drafted somebody who wasn't able to play because our strength and conditioning team sucks. Like, what do they think these players do when they get injured, like during the season? They're not just like hanging out at home. You know, like, yeah, it's so funny to me, too. He was hanging out in Tennessee eating cookout. I <laughs> I think about Darrell, Darrell Taylor for me is that, like, they, there's that video of him running that drill, and it's just, like, him running over. It's just, like, an agilities drill, you know? And I was like, why are we so excited about – why are these coaches just screaming during this agility drill? Like, Because he didn't pop a knee. Is that is that the, is that the Pete Carroll culture like getting way too excited about a like an agility drill? Do I need to be yelling at my track athletes while we do agilities like that? Like I had I had a total like crisis of I'm like this is just like kind of advanced stretching. Like what why why are we, why are we so yelling so much? I don't know. It was weird to me. They're trying to recreate game day conditions. Always compete. Uh, sure. Okay. And then the last one, <laughs> last rookie minicamp uh, story that I loved, uh, Pete Carroll stripped Cody, Cody Thompson and then the ball was loose and then uh, they, they, they dove for it. But of course <laughs> Pete is 70 years old, so he didn't come up with the ball. I'll and then he had, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go oh, ahead. I was going to say, I've watched that so many times, and easily my favorite part is that nobody reacts. There's not a single player or coach or staff member who's like, oh, shit, Pete, are you okay? Just everyone's just like, yep. And they just completely ignore it. And I'm like, dude, that your 70 year old head coach is taking is taking, you know, head dives like in the middle of the field. Oh, dude, it just cracks me up. All that does is properly illustrate to you how often that must happen. They're like, yeah. oh, it's 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 Tuesday. Pete's on the ground yeah. again. I think it must be like because I know part of Pete's culture is like taking care of the football. And it must be like part of the thing. Whereas if you're walking around with the football, there's a chance a coach is going to come up from behind you and try to punch it out. And you better be ready to dive on that football. Yeah, coach like, is willing to I, risk his life like just for the football. And that's the thing. Pete Carroll's too old for that now. He needs to get his assistance <laughs> on that. Like dude, you need Shane Waldron to be out there right. punching out the football. from Coach. He needs, a, he needs assistant <laughs> ball puncher. Wait a minute. 
This is going different places. Maybe we shouldn't have an official assistant ball puncher. Maybe this is how we finally we finally move on from Pete. He, he just like cracks his head out there on the field going after a loose ball or something. Oh it's no. A, it's a I, I mean it, it totally makes sense to me like the the whole like oh yeah, take care of the ball. You, you always have to be ready if you have a ball in your hands. But the 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 70-year-old man diving on the ground. It's like He's be on, out bro. there laying in the hospital bed next to Malik McDowell. I'm 35 and I would be like questioning or 34 and I'll be questioning those decisions. Okay. Finally, a great analysis thread on Reddit. Reddit user, you go, you bears. This is not everybody loves nudes. Thank goodness. Okay. So he, he went on, he or she, I'm not, uh, they, they, they went on to um, mock draft database and like lined up every team's UDFAs with their mock draft database ranking, which is kind of like a composite ranking of all the different uh, big boards that are out there. Do they right? watch every play? Uh, no, it's just, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because it's like a composite ranking. So yeah, it's a composite ranker. It's a, it's a composite consensus board. And oh, so, okay, right, so okay. what he did is like, so like, like Dwayne Eskridge, you know, on that, on the draft board, he was average 82nd. Okay. So, you know, that's the average spot that most of the big board people had, had, had them had uh, Dwayne. And so, or actually, I, th- I guess Dwayne Eskridge is what likes to be called D. So D Eskridge. Um, so then, then, um, then, so you know, Stone Forth on here. So, but then they did it with the UDFAs and they compared all the teams' UDFAs. And the Seahawks had the second highest average of any team, uh, including several guys who were in the top two hundred, uh, or a couple guys in the top two hundred as UDFAs. Kay Johnson was one twenty one. Tamari Ontario was one fifty three. Brian Mills was two eighty eight, which would be, you know, really close to the. Uh, the end of the draft there. So these are guys that had a, a legitimate shot to get drafted. And then a lot of guys who are on people's radar, because if you have, you have to be on the radar to get ranked in this, right? That means someone had your eye on you. Only three of our UDFAs were not on anyone's list. Aaron Doncourt, Nick Gugamos, and Pierre Lestage. And those are all for good reasons, right? Aaron Doncourt is a foreign player. So that makes it harder to scout him. Nick Gugamos is in division three. And uh, Pierre Olivier Lestage is Canadian, so like uh, also foreign players. So those those are those are three players who probably had less eyeballs on them, especially Diet from foreign. the internet internet uh, draft Nick community. Let's call it that. Um, so what I'm what I'm this is a lot of words to say. Like one, check out this thread; it's got a lot of cool information in there. But two, this UD we were able to attract a very high quality UDFA class because we didn't draft that many regular players and people were like, Hey, if I go to the Seahawks, I'm going to have a realistic chance to make this roster and contribute. Right. So it's kind of exciting to, to pull in a UDFA class that makes up for our lack of, uh, our lack of draft capital. So a few extra uh, lottery tickets to make up for the unofficial ones. So the question is, uh, I, you know, I always come with the question at the end of this, what UDFA are you, and you could be th- you could pick the same one you picked in the last segment, I guess, because we all picked a UDFA. Which UDFA are you most excited about uh, this going into this year? Which UDFA do you do you think is going to make a uh, make the biggest impact or has the potential to make the biggest impact? And I'm going to start with uh, Kevin and give Kevin first choice, first pick in the draft, the okay. undraft. This is the undraft, actually, <laughs> the so, undraft free agent. I'm going to go ahead and leave a dude out there that I think. Um, I think somebody else is going to want to take. I'm going to go with Josh Johnson out of Louisiana Monroe. Uh, yeah. Running back, he really fits the type that we like. He's about 5'9", 210. Um, ran a slower 40-yard time, but his other workout numbers are pretty good. And the big thing was, in 2020, he was really dragged down in production and efficiency by injury. 
in 2019, he was crazy productive. He had over 200 carries for um, over 1,200 yards, um, averaged more than six and a half yards per carry. And he was like kind of the bell cow back in a run-based offense. And he finishes well through contact. He does everything you want to see while running. The only and he's like he's all right as a pass blocker and a pass catcher. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy who could come in and possibly be like a back of the roster running back and compete for more time over the course of the next couple of seasons. So uh, since I scouted Josh Johnson, I'm just going to say Josh Johnson, when you watch him, he does a lot of things pretty solid, right? Yep. Like he's he's really good at finding the hole. He's a really patient runner. He's pre- He's got pretty good speed, but his long speed is not great. He will get caught from behind in the NFL. He's he's a decent enough tackle blocker, decent enough uh, just p- pass blocker. But the thing about Josh Johnson is he's short and he ran a slow 40. And so that dropped him out of the draft. Like that, that thing – he needed to to run really fast to get into the draft because of his size. And uh, I think that that really hurt him. His He didn't run a, a great 40 at his pro day. And so, yeah, John, I agree. Josh Johnson is a solid all-around back who could definitely contribute, uh, especially if injuries take over our backfield like they have in the past. I'm yeah, and BJ Emmons is basically the exact same profile, a little bit more athletic, but like very little production because he was well, the thing about um, B, injured and stuff. The thing about BJ Emmons is he's big. He's six foot two twenty. Like he, he's got size, um, and I think he, I think if BJ Emmons didn't come out, he could have really like ran hard next year and made himself a, a drafted player. But I mean, I don't know. I maybe it was a lot to deal with this this year, right? Because he, he doesn't have a, he didn't have a lot of experience. I like Johnson a little bit better than Emmons, like you, Kevin. I think so. Okay, Brett, who's your who's your guy? Plant your flag. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'm planting steal it for it. Kate. I'm planning it for Kate Johnson okay. because out of all of the back end Seahawks wide receivers, you know, that are on the roster now, I think he could I think he could carve out a spot either by being, you know, Dwayne Eskridge insurance or just by being JD McKissick, right? Like I think I think he could do that. He reminds me a little bit of Golden Tate, but he's like obviously slower. But um oh no, I think he's got good hands. He's got a good feel for the ball. I don't know. I, Plus, I think, just our last, our like our last crop of you know four, five, six wide receivers has been so disappointing. So, I'm I'm ready to believe. Basically, that's why I'm playing we, that flag there. We have had oh, a player quick, on put the, it on DK's bulletin board. Brett just called him disappointing. No, the, no, no, no. I said the four, five, six wide receivers. DK was. Oh, I thought you bet like your last third, four right? or five sets of wide no, receivers. No, 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 no. I'm oh. saying the back end of the roster past David Moore has just been butt for so. Still long, put it on so. DK's bulletin board. Oh yeah, sure. Why not? Anything the, to help. The Seahawks Anything. know. The Seahawks know exactly what profile K Johnson, the successful version of K Johnson, is because he's kind of slow motion, kind of like you know NBA Kyle yes. Anderson. He's, he's not super fast, <laughs> uh, but he but he seems to get open anyway. The profile for him to be successful is Doug Baldwin, and yep. so they mm-hmm. they but the C, so the Seahawks already know they've had this player before, right? The slightly underwhelming athletic profile, but smart player who runs good routes and always seems to get open despite the quote unquote subpar athleticism right right? so so k k johnson i think that like they know what they need to do to make him successful and that's like they need him to be a technician 
And I, he could probably, I think he could do it. It, it. The thing that's tough for him is they drafted a guy in the draft that is going to sit in front of where he should be playing yeah, in, exactly. in the best <laughs> in the best version of him for the NFL. He's playing in the slot, and yeah. Dwayne Eskridge is just a, a roadblock for him in in that slot position right now. Him and Tyler, and right. so uh, yeah, he has a he has a, a hard road to playing time right now, but. That doesn't mean that he won't be successful. I could see him being like Doug, where his first season is most of his impact is on special teams, mm-hmm. uh, and he wears an, a weird number that he doesn't end up wearing for the rest of his career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What was it, fifteen? Yeah, it's just yeah. a weird number. And then, so yeah, that's that's a that's my K Johnson prediction is that he, he needs to follow the Doug ba- Doug Baldwin playbook to success because he's not going to over overwhelm people. With his uh, with his athleticism in the NFL, but his route running's really good. He has short area quickness, um, and he can return kicks. Like he can create value even right. if he's not playing receiver. All right, yeah, he's I not- started him quite a bit as well, and I agree with a lot of the takes you have. They tried to compare him to a different Seahawk. Um, I saw some of the national media comparing him to Tyler Lockett. No, um, I don't think he has anywhere near the hands. Tyler Lockett had great hands coming out and was just kind of flat out faster. But I, Kate Johnson is definitely one of those players where his athletic profile gets bagged quite a bit, despite not being bad. He's just a pretty average athlete. And so, yeah, if he can become an elite technician, like he's got, uh, like he's got like the hips and he's got the um, movement to be able to get in and out of routes really quickly and create separation that way. But that is a tougher road. And so it will take a lot of work on his part. But if he can get there, man, that would be a great piece to have. All right. I'm going with uh, Brian Mills. Um, Brian Mills lacks elite speed, but he uh, is really long and really big and plays really strong. Even He plays above his weight, which right now he's only 180. If he could pack on some some extra weight this first year, you know, he'd kind of give him a red shirt year. And uh, he could he could totally end up being a, uh, a Seahawks kind of style cornerback. So I'm excited about uh, Brian Mills, just from a like size perspective, size and length perspective, and uh, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna get on a corner. I'm not like a huge Tamari, and Terry guy, so, so like, uh, yeah, I was same. hoping, I was hoping that you would take Tamari and Terry because I want, I wanted Kate Johnson, but that's, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I've seen, I've, I've seen too many uh, Tamari and Terrys play football before, you know. In my time as a as a Seahawks fan, so if he sticks as the very back into the roster wide receiver, though, that's not a bad guy to have on the yeah, outside. Yeah, I mean, he's not thirty seven. I already like him more than John Arsua. So hey, okay, how about this? Let me do that. another one. Let me do another one then. John Radigan. I think John Radigan could be the next Nick Ballore, like linebacker yep. slash fullback uh, slash elite special teamers, and having John Radigan on the same team as Nick Ballore. Like, obviously, I don't want them both to make the roster because that seems like. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot of roster spots for a you know fringe linebacker slash fullback slash special teamer, but if we can get John Radigan on the practice squad and just say like, hey, watch that guy. That guy is your future. That's uh, I think that's a really good uh, path to go. Anyway, great job on the thread. Uh, what was it? You Reddit user uh, go you bears. Yeah, uh, which I'm which I'm assuming is not uh, the. I'm assuming it's Cal Golden Bears, like he's a Cal fan, not a, uh, a Chicago Bears fan, <laughs> because uh, which probably makes sense. Maybe he followed Seahawks up here with Marshawn kind of thing. Uh, so could be, yeah, that is right. a cool thing too, because you know they do, you know the Seahawks do take you know the UDFA's quite a bit more serious, at least you know like uh, you know like vocally, right? They're pretty serious about it, 
you know, depending on what you think about the quality of, uh, you know, all the GMs and front offices around the league, you know, they could be. The way Pete Carroll's talking about these guys is like borderline pornographic. Did you see that when he said about Stone Forsyth? He was like, Uh oh, he's so beautifully built. It's like, whoa, Pete, (laughs) chill chill out, dude. That guy is like one third of your age. You know, you're right. No. (laughs) That's all. That's all I got there. All right. Uh, we all came up with one storyline that we thought would dominate Seahawks training camp this year. Brett, what's your what's your storyline that, you, that you're seeing as a as an offseason dominator? You're going to hate me, but you're going to have to jog my memory on what I said. Oh, dear. I know. Brett, oh, bad. oh, you're Brett. talking about some contractual obligations. Yeah, Brett, Brett, you wrote, I wrote down you said that you wanted to talk about how Jamal Adams knew. Oh, thank you. Thank you. A, a yeah. Yeah. Story. They're good. So they're. Yeah, so they're going to hit this in the absence of, you know, first and second round draft picks. They're going to quickly turn to the, well, our first round draft pick was Jamal Adams, just like Pete Carroll said. But is he going to play next year? What's his contract? Is he going to hold out? And it will be, I think, I think that will be the the onslaught the first couple weeks. And then they'll either extend him or he'll just show up at training camp and that'll be that. But I think that's going to be like the biggest which, I so, mean, is not without warrant, right? He's very young. He's only the 15th highest paid safety in the league. So it's hard not to – it's hard not to wonder, I guess. Okay, so, so what – what? okay, let's talk about his contract. What kind of AAV are you thinking for for him? Like, So I'll use the Buda Baker contract as a baseline because I think that's a really fair baseline. That's a very yeah. comparable – it's a very comparable player to Jamal Adams as well. Buda Baker got $59 million over four years – with a $22 million or 33, sorry, $33 million of guarantees. How it's do you, hard, it's hard because I mean, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'm assuming that a pretty decent, you know, 16 sack edge makes more than that. Right. So it's like, I mean, you can't, you, if like, if I'm Jamal Adams and his agent, right. You can't just go in there and say, well, just pay me like these guys because he obviously, you know, runs laps around those dudes in the, you know, in the pressure. So it's hard. So I, uh, so I don't know. I don't want to split the difference because can he get, you know, like what was he on pace for? Had he played all the, like all the games, like 15 sacks, right? Like, can he get 15 sacks again? Do you you really want a safety to blitz that many times? Like he was better when he was honestly, the the team was better when he was blitzing less. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know, I guess I don't like the sticker shock of, you know, any of these deals, but like if we make, you know, if we do that classic Seahawks contract, right. We're like, you know, it looks pretty good right in a couple years and guarantees and whatever. I mean, if he's the highest paid safety in the league, like are, are, are we just totally resigned to that fate? You know, like it's hard, but I think he'll probably land somewhere in the middle, but I mean, like he's like Justin Simmons is a better safety, right? Like in pass coverage and from like sure. that standpoint, but I mean, None of these there, guys can rush the passer like Jamal Adams can. So it's really, there are it's not, really hard. There are not that many safeties in the league with over four, with four or more years on their contract and over fifteen million or over yeah. ten million dollars even of AAV. There's like six guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just not that many big safety people aren't paying safeties, which is right. why I think it's it's a it's a it's an interesting spot to be in when you have one of the best ones. And you, you have to decide kind of what, what do you want to do? Like, how do you want to structure that contract? And yeah, Justin Simmons is the other one, 61 million over four years with 30, uh, $35 million in guarantees. So yeah, I don't think we're getting out for less than four years, 60. I, I think, think, I think we're not getting out for less than four years, 65, to be honest with you. I think we're probably going to have to beat Simmons on AAV. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, and you know what? That's probably fine. Like, I mean, who else is going to make a lot of money on this team, right? DK, like, obviously. Um, we already paid Tyler. Yeah, we already paid Tyler. You know, Russ will be a bear in, a, you know, 10 days from now. So, so I mean, really... <laughs> Yeah, so I guess it's, I don't know. I feel kind of obligated just to pay him and just to have it be done with. But, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. You know, the guy thinks he was, you know, completely like overlooked his whole career and stuff, which is fine. You know, he plays, like he plays on that edge, right? Like I'm not, I got no complaints, but I don't know. It, we shall see. It is a t- I, I understand there's some, why some people are like, hey, it is a tough sell to, to, to pay a safety over $10 million a year for a long time. Like there, here's the guys that are getting long contracts over ten million dollars. There's five of them, like I said: Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, uh, Eddie Jackson, Kevin Beard, and Landon Collins. And Harrison Smith got like barely ten million dollars. That was a couple uh, years that was, ago. Though, that right? was that was a long time ago, 2016. Yeah. This we're in the last year of that contract now. And it, uh, <sighs> yeah, no no doubt he would have gotten closer to that 15 number if he was signing that contract today. So. Yeah, I think I think we're looking at fifteen to or sixteen or so AAV, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. It's scary. It's scary what, to put that much money into one dude. Would you rather? Would you rather sign Jamal Adams for that much money, and then not be able to re-sign Quandre, or get Quandre on the cheap? You know, maybe six or seven, and then have the cap room to go sign somebody else. I I'm talking, think, you know, twenty twenty-two think the team feels like they have a succession plan at free safety and it's just going to let Quandre walk when his contract ends. I kind of agree um, with that too. Yeah. I was just curious because, you know, I pulled up the spell track and Quandre Diggs makes, you know, not that much. Dollars, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like not that much less than Jamal Adams does this year. So it was kind of funny. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that the team feels like, like between Amadi and Blair, like we have a succession plan for Quandre Diggs uh, yeah. after he, after he's done. And so, yeah, I think they just they're they're writing that contract out. I would love to have Quandre back, and it it's it might be one of those situations that turns out kind of like this KJ Wright situation, where if like KJ yeah. really strikes out and he decides I just want to play close to home and I can do it for five million dollars, like KJ is going to be back next year if if we can get him that cheap. Oh yeah, well but, it's funny yeah. because they tried to do this with uh, Thompson and uh, with Thompson and Hill, and neither worked. And then they tried to do it again with Amadi and Blair, and seemingly both may have worked. So it's just kind of like, well, you know, all right. I guess the big thing is Quandre is kind of one of those caught in the middle safeties. I don't think anyone's going to want to pay him. So there's a really good chance he'll be signing his next year, his next deal somewhere in that like five to eight million dollar range. And so I do think there's a pretty good chance that he ends up back on the Seahawks. Like, I don't think he's getting paid more than Adrian Amos. I don't think he's getting paid, you know, more than a lot of these other guys I'm seeing on here. Yeah, the Jalen. I think the Jalen Mills contract is a nice uh, baseline for him of like four twenty four, with yeah. a pretty a pretty de- decent chunk of that being guarantees. I think that's and I a, wouldn't mind giving him that deal. Yeah. So same. Uh, yeah, I would be totally into it. All right, uh, let's go ahead and uh, move to the the next one. Uh, Kevin, you said the cornerback battle will be the dominant uh, story in Seahawks training camp. What what's how do you see that battle shaking out? Yeah, I think we all. I think we're all on the same page about cornerback being probably the biggest question mark on the entire roster. Um, with what basically only one set starter last year, and that starter's now gone in the form of Shaquille. We have Akilah Witherspoon, Trey Flowers, 
Trey Brown, Pierre Desir, um, DJ Reed, and a host of other people all kind of battling for what's probably going to be kind of three starting quarter spots. Because I have a feeling there's going to be kind of a, um, you don't a think short I'm, leash. You don't think Amadi's going to Amadi and uh, Blair are going to start out in the slot this year? That's not what I mean. I mean, there's going to be three outside corners getting most of the snaps. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna right, share yeah. time. Okay. There's going to be a bit of a timeshare. I think there's going to be a bit of a short leash or a timeshare where they're going to do that. Well, we want to see so and so get some snaps, and we want to see so and so get some snaps. I could see a lot of that happening. And that might be why you see Flowers or Desir maybe get to start early in the season. And then Brown gets that chance to chase him down for the job by or Witherspoon gets a chance or DJ gets a chance to chase him down for a job by the bye week, that kind of thing. Um, the thing that I think is interesting, though, is I feel like a lot of people are kind of forgetting just how good DJ Reed was last year. So last year, DJ Reed had a PFF coverage grade of 71.4. He... Um, he came into a less than ideal situation. He was bouncing between slot and starting corner. He was coming off an injury. He had a COVID offseason to learn the playbook. Now, he's coming over from a pretty similar sim- uh, system in San Francisco, but this was not an ideal situation to come in and show what you have. And he came in and put up one of the better cornerback seasons that we've seen as a Seahawk since Richard Sherman left. So as much as we're talking about not having a reliable starter, I don't know. DJ Reed is about half a season from being kind of a proven commodity. I, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think DJ Reed's pretty locked in to like winning one of those jobs. And it's really like, can Trey Brown and Akella Weatherspoon and Pierre Desir and Savion Smith, can one of these guys really step up and be solid across from, DJ Reed and B because DJ Reed, let's be honest, he's the number two corner. Like can someone, one of these guys step up and be a number one corner, right? Or a one, even a 1.5. Because <laughs> yeah, that's if what Witherspoon that's really can do what he flashed. That would actually be a really good quarterback tandem. You know, I think yeah. what they're trying to avoid is that uh, 2019 opener in Denver where they were like, all right, if we can get half a cornerback on this other side and they got like a minus three cornerback. If you, yeah. If, flowers just completely yeah, unable to like, follow Emmanuel Sanders across the field. getting exa- torched. Yes, exactly. Cause like, I think they're pretty realistic, you know, like, Hey, you know, sometimes we're going to give up 30 points, but we're probably going to score 35. Right. So yeah, I think, I think like you guys said, this is the plan again, right. Is you want all these bodies, you know, like someone's going to get hurt, right? It, like stuff happens. But yeah, I think as long as you can get three three guys to kind of swap around, um, I think I think they're going to be pretty happy with that. So, okay. Uh, I, I agree. I actually, uh, hot take, I think Trey Flowers is on the hot seat, man. Like he, even though he has, he has 37 starts, I don't know if you guys know that, that's kind of insane. But yeah, he's uh, kind of the effetti of corners. Yeah, it's, Ooh. it is like, he's, Accurate. he's just, Availability. Except we didn't spend the first round pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, Nothing wrong with Trey Flowers' career arc so far. I just think he is definitely on the hot seat. Like they brought in so many guys and Trey Flowers that kind of put him on notice. Like, hey, you're you might have been the number two corner for a long time here, but uh, but now you're just number two. Do not feel safe. Well, you know, okay. it's like you know, yeah, it's like you guys always say, right? Like a kilo witherspoon is the floor, right? And as long as he's healthy, that's a that's a perfectly good floor. If all these other guys don't work out, you're one, right? So last last thing, uh, my storyline I picked, I put, uh, what is Shane Aldrin's offense actually going to look like? Like, what's the uh, what's the enacted version? What's the the final version of Shane Aldrin's offense? And I had a tw- I read I wrote down a tweet to go with it. Joe fans, 
tweeted a uh, Pete Carroll set called Shane Waldron's offense. Very intricate and very precise. It's beautifully thought out. It's got a complimentary aspect to it. Oh man. He, uh, he's almost as uh, thirsty for that offense as he was for stone Forsyth. I don't even know what that means. It's very, it is very, I don't think Pete knows either, but it sounds good. Oh man. Pete, Pete, Pete's a, Pete is a mood right now. Uh, this, this preseason. So, okay. Pete's got the Uh, word of day calendar busted out for real. Kevin, what do you think? What do you think the Waldron offense, like how does this stack up? What are the, what are the roles? What are the, the things that we're going to see that maybe we didn't see before from the Seahawks in the, in the Shane Waldron offense. So I think if you're watching the Kyle Shanahan offense and you're watching the McVay offense, you have an idea of what some of the tenants are going to be, right? It's going to be, either inside or outside zone. We don't know for sure which one it's going to be yet. It would seem based on the coaches brought over that it's going to be an inside zone system. And the goal is going to be to make the run looks and the pass looks overlap. They're going to look identical. We're probably going to see a lot of shifting pockets. We're going to see a lot of catch and run situations. Get, get ready. Off at the show. Get ready for boot boot action. Just, just, yep. Just get ready for like which Russ is good on the boots, so that's right, like that's playing to his strengths. Right side of the field flood concepts where someone guy where where he's booting out to the right and there's just a bunch of guys on the right side running routes. Yeah, just that that's going to be a thing. Yeah, that flood concept where you have a drag route, a um, out route, and a like skinny post route, and they're all kind of running to the right side of the field, and Russ is supposed to just kind of take a a quick read out see what's up and either dump it off or take off on a run. And I think that plays a lot into his strengths. Um, And I think it plays a lot into our playmakers. Like we know DK is really good with the ball in his hands. Um, As much as Tyler doesn't have the run after catch in his um, statistical background, like dude's a punt returner. And if you watch him in college at all, he's dangerous in the open field. Like he's perfectly capable of running after the catch. Dwayne Eskridge is extremely dangerous Wait, running after I've, the catch. So you're saying that like all these times where he catches it on the sideline because the play's been going for 45 minutes and then just toe taps it and, and doesn't get any yard after catch. You're saying that's like not totally normal? I'm saying that like that may or may <laughs> not have something that. to do with the way the play's drawn up, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it turns out that when you are jumping out of bounds and you manage to drag both toes. Or like you catch it over Pat Pete's shoulder as he's tackling you. It's really hard to run after that. So my thing is, as what to watch out for in this offense is watch out for Dwayne Eskridge and, uh, running uh, horizontally when the play starts and taking some a non-zero number of handoffs. There's a reason that we went after that role so hard, and uh, that that is why they. There be there will be a significant number of Seahawks plays where someone, I'm assuming Dwayne Eskridge, will be running uh, horizontal to the line of scrimmage as the play starts and may or may not take a handoff from Russell Wilson. And uh, in in LA, you see it a lot. Robert Woods does it. Robert Woods is like their main uh, take the handoff guy. And uh, I could totally see I could see any of our guys doing it except. It would be weird if DK does it because he's so big, but <laughs> he, he could do yeah. it though. It's and not that'd unreasonable. Be it's not unreasonable. But I, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be Dwayne Eskridge because it, it just fits. He fits the profile of a guy who would be awesome at that. Freddie's good at it too. Don't sleep on that. 
Yeah, Freddie Slane could be awesome about. at it too. So, so they have a they have options in house to do this, but that is an action that will be happening. And um, one thing is I've always whined about is the, about the Seahawks offenses for so long they didn't have very much pre snap motion. You know, there's just not a lot of stuff going on before the snap of the ball, and pre snap motion is a good way to knock the defense off balance. Well, there's going to be a lot more of that in this offense than there was before uh, to, to knock the knock the defense off balance. So uh, I'm really excited about the Shane Waldron offense, actually. And I one other thing, too, I'm really excited about is that the tight end weapons line up really good. So um, I'm not 100 percent sure because Shane Waldron, they so when the when the McVay offense first first started, he ran everything out of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, basically every single play ran out of that personnel when they changed the, but everyone kind of figured out what they were doing or like they had counters to it. Uh, so in the, in that super bowl, also the Ram- they had uh, Sammy Watkins and he left. So they really and, only had two big wide receivers in the mm-hmm. super bowl, in the super bowl that they lost, um, they kind of got exposed as like, here's a way you can, you can stop the, um, you can stop the, this is to run this bear over front. And, and like, there's a, I could talk about that for a long time, but I'm not going to because it's. But they ran this. They ran this weird, really weird front, really unique uh, play, at play calling from the Patriots, and people just copied it. They said, "Oh, this works. Let's copy it." So they, LA, had to go one level up, right? Because they were getting stopped by this, this, this odd front that that teams could run against them. So they started playing a lot with two tight ends. And what I want to, what I really want to see is like Disley, Parkinson, and Everett have a huge opportunity this year to like really make an impact on this offense, especially Everett and coming out with two tight ends and, and playing games with the, with the defense like that too, is a, is an interesting wrinkle that, that the Rams impl- in implemented, I cannot talk today, implemented to, to make, to kind of add a wrinkle to their offense. And I, I want to see like, what do the Seahawks do? Do they come out and play three wide receiver a lot? Cause we have the personnel for that. Do they come out and right, play two tight end a lot? Cause we have the personnel for that too. Do they switch back and forth? Is it interchangeable? Is it, do they try to like punch counter punch with those two looks? Um, that is what I'm curious about to be you know honest. What I'm really looking forward to uh, not seeing an offensive tackle come out and play tight end a whole bunch. Oh yeah. That'll never happen in this offense. There's no way. Uh, if, if Jordan Simmons or Jamarco Jones or Cedric Agbui was planning on that, that is a, uh, it's not happening. Bitter it, disappointment, that's, gentlemen. Will Disley has taken that that role uh, in this offense. There's yep. no way, and he's a really good blocker too. I don't know why they ever felt the need to do that with Disley as one as an option. So, yep. All right, uh, that's any. Oh, f- sorry, I want to give you one last chance. Does anyone have any final thoughts about? rookie mini camp before we uh we move to the uh to the money zone in the movie club yeah i just wanted to say how excited i was to hear how everyone was in the best shape of their lives <laughs> uh they'd all been practicing really hard in the off season they all uh picked up something in the off season that they hadn't picked up before that they really think is going to make the difference this year you know all of them are uh, are good kids i heard that somewhere they're good uh, kids as opposed to all the bad kids that they didn't sign. That seems pretty good. It's so <laughs> weird to me that um, <laughs> the way that the, the the same stories every year. And I, I understand, like, these people are writers, right? They're professional writers, and they have to produce a piece of content, like, every day. And you that's know? hard. Like, and it's it's not easy. That There's is not a reason easy. we're weekly, folks. And it's not fun. Like, yeah, like, big ups to, like, the people. Like, uh, who is it? Uh, Corbin puts out a podcast every day. Like, man, I just wouldn't do it. Like, there's no way it's 
it's just too, it's too much of a grind. Like I would just I'd be so sick of it by the by the third week. I'd just be like, <laughs> I'm canceling this podcast. We are done forever because it's just it's brutal. And so for me, uh, I just don't I'm not 100 percent sure uh, why. why <laughs> how do I how do I how do this you're thing? not sure why the same recycled stories keep getting put out there like they actually mean something? Yeah, I'm just not sure why people read them because like because because here's the thing like you know what that story says already before you click it but you click it we click it anyway that they would not write that story if we did not every click time. it trust me we the they everything in the so as someone who's done a little bit of freelance writing every single thing is just metrics right you write yeah. the article it gets clicked you get paid based on number of clicks so why. Why do we keep clicking? I'm just, I'm just because not sure. we're hunting for that one actual piece of information that's in the story. So it's like, yeah, I know it's just talking about how they're in the best shape of their life, which doesn't really mean anything. But this dude's coming off a of knee injuries. So I really just want to hear, like, is he dragging a limb? And so, yes, I clicked on your stupid story that told me that he's eating more chicken and it's going to make all the difference in the world because he's eating chicken and spinach. But can you please just tell me if his knee's falling off? And then they never do, but I will definitely keep clicking on it. I don't know. It's just bizarre. Uh, all right. Brett, you got any last thoughts before I throw something at you? Just a last thing. I mean, I really, I just, I, I want to believe that what Pete meant was that, you know, Shane Waldron's offense complements what they already do very well. Because, I mean, we're going from you know, Gurley to Chris Carson and a bunch of offensive linemen downgrades, arguably. But we're going from Jared Goff to Russell Wilson. So if we see the Rams offense with Russell Wilson, like that's, you know, that's the like, that's the hope, right? I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Well, they just spent three first rounders to try and make that happen for them for a guy who's like half a Russell Wilson. <laughs> so. Yeah. Whew. Well, we shall we shall see. All right. So um, finally, keep right. This one is specifically for you. I saved it for last because I wanted to yep. hear your reaction. Have you looked at the betting lines for opening week yet? Oh, uh, I I have. Okay. Um, so Seattle is a <laughs> two and a half point underdog crazy. on the road in Indianapolis. Actually, opened as a two point. But uh, but then it instantly moved in most places to two and a half. Money came in hot and heavy on the Indianapolis Colts. I guess. Well, that's I not mean, really, that's not really that hot or that heavy. A half point move like that, especially if it's not to a threshold. Like the move from two to two and a half is probably pretty easy for the book. That move to three is going to be uh, that's a bigger yeah. choice, right? Plus so, one twenty on the win line though. That's del- yeah. that's delightful. So, so what 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 did you think? What do you think about that line, Brett? What, what do you think? <sighs> it's early. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't bet it, right? Because one is the Seahawks. I feel I feel like people have amnesia with this whole Carson Wentz thing. Like, that roster's <laughs> fine. That roster's fine, but you can't tell me that there is no change, drop-off, whatever, in quality from even 40-year-old Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz. Like, it's just a different – it's a different world. So I think the line's kind of weird. I honestly thought the Seahawks were going to be favored. Um but I thought I thought it would be a pick, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, on the road, do they still lay three points for being on the road? I don't. Yeah, now that's not yeah. COVID. Yeah. Basically, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. They obviously know what they're doing. I think Seahawks plus one twenty money line is kind of crazy. Um, 
I, I you know, I thought that would have been the old like NBA special, one, right? You one know, thing, like, like a like a minus one hundred five or something. One but, thing that stuck out to me, okay, right away when I looked at the line was not only are the, is Indianapolis favored by two, but this is the highest over under of the whole week, fifty two. So oh yeah, it is. so so they are predicting. I mean, Dallas Tampa Bay opened as a bigger over under, but it has moved down significantly. Yeah, it's I think, tied with the Browns and Chiefs. But yeah, this is fifty two also. This is a big. They have a big uh, over under on this. Yeah, 52, 52 and a half. Yeah, the yeah. Browns and Browns and Chiefs are fifty three some places. So yeah, it's right. right. And there. those are two teams that don't right. play defense and play tons of offense. Yeah, I was gonna say. I it mean, just kind of me, weirds me out though. Like Indianapolis to me looks when I look at that roster, I think this team's gonna run a lot. This team's gonna kind of yeah. try to ride Jonathan yeah. Jonathan Taylor, and they're gonna gonna ride their really good defense and and hope that that can kind of take them to the promised land i guess the seahawks score so they're gonna have to score yeah you don't think the seahawks can score 35 points and then you know do you think the colts can score 17 like i mean i certainly do well let's take a look at the last two Wentz teams that played the seahawks and they scored (laughs) nine also true and nine yeah it's it doesn't make that line is weird to me i I don't know i'm a a little bothered by it I, i would not be surprised if the seahawks were were a little bothered by it because it's it's a it is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to them as a coming off yeah. of twelve and four. They were twelve and four last year. They're the NFC West champs. I think it that is. that that Rams loss just really stuck in everyone's head. You know, they they really that really kind of was a sour, really sour note right. to end the season. Well, and, I mean, uh, you know how it goes. You know, like like how many people bet on this line going like, oh, the Seahawks got too much turmoil because of the Russell Wilson stuff, right? I mean, like that's a real thing, you know. But yeah, if yeah. the lines if the lines too wacky, you know, it's no. I think I don't know. I love this uh, Detroit and San Francisco line though. Like, like why would you bet on a Jimmy G team to be minus seven and a half uh, Cause, favorites? Because it's a Jared Goff team that has oh, like yeah. the Good wider the, the wider <laughs> the wide receivers for Jared Goff are like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Tyrell yeah, Williams. Gosh. And there's one other one. It's a it's a oh Brashad Perryman. That's oh. right. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's that. We'll see how many oh, ACL yeah. Rashad Perryman has. Yeah. By the, time the, game the number starts. one receiving option in Detroit is tight end. Is tight end Hawkinson number where two did, receiving option Kenny, in Detroit is running back DeAndre Swift. Like where did Kenny Galladay go? Kenny Galladay's uh, a New giant. York Giants. Oh my god! Why do they the even let that team spend giants. money? <laughs> what, a, what a horrible roster! Hey, Gettleman signed. Gettleman signed uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Good. Yeah. What's the line on the Giants? Broncos minus one. Yeah, I'll take the Broncos. I will say this: Kelvin Benjamin has like the greatest rookie season in NFL history for for a wide receiver. He had like fourteen hundred yards and nine touchdowns. Like he was incredible (laughs) his rookie year, and then he just couldn't. And then he ate ate his way out of the league, and now he's a tight end for the Giants. Just like Tim Tebow. Gettleman's because Gettleman drafted him in Carolina. I feel like he's doing him a solid. He's like, hey, bro, I'll bring you in for camp. Uh, you can you can uh, you can you know you can say you're play tight end, tight end and then hopefully someone else will sign you because we got Evan Ingram and uh, what's Carl? They have John Carlson too, the guy from the Vikings. Uh, no, Carlson, no, he's, Rudolph. Like, he's like oh Kyle Rudolph. By now. Yeah, there you Kyle go. Rudolph. Okay, yeah, sorry, <laughs> like, I got damn, my John Carlson's coming back. That's got a... my doofy white tight ends mixed up. So yeah, 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 Frank Wycheck. <laughs> Christian Fourier. <laughs> All right, let's get to the money zone. Uh, there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nets podcast. The best way to do so, head over to punthub.us and for as little as a dollar twenty-four a month, get access to uh, off-season content, Punt including up. coming coming soon. Uh, as soon as the school year ends, we'll do our deep dives on the three Seahawks draft picks. Plus, plus, uh, we do our weekly in-season betting and gambling thoughts. Also, you get access to the Discord, where coming June first, we'll have our 
signups for fantasy football leagues free uh free to play well i guess you gotta be a patreon but free <laughs> free after that to, to play premium content <laughs> yeah free free to play with with prizes so it is pay cool to win though tomorrow. because if you bribe us we'll definitely help you out yeah i'll i'll, I'll drop I'll, if i like you enough you know i'll trade you a bunch of young wide receivers for julio jones in the in the dynasty league so so uh so anyway thank big thanks to the the patrons andy brett there you are right there hey. uh, Co- Co- cooper greta james carrie lucas ryan tom emmanuel astro bob casey Floctimus, Foles, jay kieran leon michelle mike and mike richard sam thomas warwolf Brandon and Nick. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, really helps us out, keeps us going, and uh, keeps me sane. All right, uh, Kevin, I could tell you wanted to comment on my my dynasty trade. I could tell you were like, you're like I want to make fun of Nathan for for this. Is this trade. a new one? I, nope, traded... I wasn't going to say anything about it because I didn't want to start bringing up dynasty stuff. All right, good, perfect. We'll save it for save it for the pay, the the Patreon uh, fantasy. Yeah, we'll do it for the fantasy do. football podcast we do over the summer. I uh, I I have a very good reason for doing that, and I'll, I'll explain it. Later yeah, it's because you had a roster crunch. Well, not really. I wanted to play waivers, and I felt like there was really good players on waivers. So I was like, I'll recoup most of the value by getting Henry Ruggs, uh, in this for off of waivers, and yeah. then make up for it. So I I felt okay with it. Anyway, uh, and also just needed a guy who I could start hmm. week to week. Like I did not want to play the Hollywood Brown or Michael Gallup game. No, <laughs> nope. Not, not a very fun game. Not okay. A good game. Uh, so we're gonna do a movie. We're in this Friday coming to Netflix. Dave Batista stars in uh, what is it? Something of the Army Dead. of what the is, Dead. Army oh. of the Dead. Right. Uh, they are doing a lot of crazy cross promotion. What for this dies movie. in Vegas stays in I, Vegas. I was watching WWE WrestleMania Backlash, the pay per view that they did. They Why had would an you do arm, that to yourself? They had an. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch all of it. I only watched parts. Okay. But they did an. <laughs> they did an Army of the Dead crossover match. Where, where the the Miz, the Miz no. went against a wrestler named Damian Priest, and it was a lumberjack match. And Batista tweeted out, "I can't come to the the show, but I'm going to send some some lumberjacks to do the match." And of course, since Batista sent them, an army of the dead's coming out this week. They were zombie lumberjacks. And at the end of the match, uh, the Miz got eaten by zombies. So it was awesome, like super cool. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I love stupid things, and it was definitely very, 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 very. That, should I add, should I add more varies? No, I think you that, the point. that sounds even too stupid for me. And I have over fifty top shot moments with more to come. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, what do I'm I up, know about I'm up stupidity? To like, I'm up to like eighty. So there okay, go, uh, let's. So since an oh. of the dead movie is coming out this week, Army of the Dead, and uh, obviously we can't watch it because we're. Uh, wait, did it come out last Friday or this Probably. next Friday? Probably. Yes. I actually think it came out last Friday. No, wait. It came out in theaters last Friday, and it comes out on Netflix this Friday? That is correct. Okay. That's what it is. Okay. Yes. It was, you can see it on Netflix on Friday, and you can see it in theaters last Friday. I didn't – I didn't. the theater thing wasn't an option for me because I can see it for free in seven days. I'm not, not, that, uh, not that into it. Okay. We're not that antsy. We're going to talk about uh, 1978's – bro, this is like one of Brett's favorite movies, which is another reason it's a great – it's a great week to have him. 1978's mm-hmm. Down in the Dead. So, 19, uh, George A. Romero, this is the uh, second of the dead movie that he made. The first one, of course, Night of the Living Dead. So, Brett, first I'm going to ask you this. Why do you like Dawn of the Dead better than Night of the Living Dead? I just wanted to want to come yeah. right after that. Um, I saw Dawn of the Dead first, like before. Okay. And I feel it's hard to really pin it down, but I think it's just because it was like a sequel that basically wasn't really see i mean like it stands alone right 
And it was just, I mean, I think it's better. It's, you know, it's got the social commentary. It's got the, you know, it's got better special effects. I mean, and on and on. And it's just in every way, it's kind of, you know, uh, iterative, but, uh, you know, an improvement. It's just, uh, yeah. It was one I mean, of the first horror movies that I ever saw, too, where I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, this is... I mean, there is a commentary in, in Night of the Living Dead, too. It was a big move to, to cast a black actor as your lead True. in a, in a movie like that. Well, and then that uh, ending. Yeah, and the ending, for sure. But, but uh, okay, I, I agree. Dawn, Dawn is a slightly better movie to me, and I think the commentary thread is, is stronger, for sure. So let, let's talk Dawn of the Dead a little bit. Um, so Brett, what what do you love about uh, Dawn of the Dead? Like, what's your what's your uh, what's what, what makes this one of your your five favorites? Because we had we had well, hmm. full disclosure, we had Brett list off five of his five favorite movies before yeah. the podcast and just picked one of them. <laughs> so so and the, <laughs> I, mean, it, I was like, this is this perfect with a lot of assurance. <laughs> so so uh, I think. What do you love about Dawn of the Dead? Like, I mean, not being you know like a film you know I don't even know what you want to call it right? like a film buff or whatever. But you but are a, like, you are a horror junkie though. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like if you don't remember or, you know, think about that this movie was made in 1978, that's what, like four years after like Star Wars? Mm -hmm. More? Like, right, like four or five. Like, and to think about how much impact it had, it's just, it was very, uh, it was very ahead of its time, right? Like, you know, just like the setting, the music, the, the special effects were great for the time. And so it's just oh, yeah. kind of, but it doesn't age at the same time, right? Like the, it the, just. What about the color of the blood in this movie? It is like very technicolor. It's bright red. Yeah, it is like yeah. I, that's one thing I like like about it is he, George Romero decided like, hey, when someone's bleeding, like you're gonna know because it's gonna look like a ketchup splattering all over the place. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I just I don't know, like knowing very little about kind of you know like how movies are made and the whole process, it felt like. Like, do you guys like? Do you guys ever feel like you like something more when you feel like you discovered it? Whether that's you know, like in your family or your friends, right, or social circle, right? It was like it was like I brought Dawn of the Dead into like my universe, you know, and it was like the first movie that I really like like felt that way about. Like, I mean, I could just watch it every day. It was um like the pacing was good, slow but good, you know. Uh, yeah. So I don't what, know. actually, just... speaking of the slow pacing, uh, one thing I like about this movie though is the slow pacing is part of the commentary. So like, right. the movie starts out pretty f- normal, fast zombie movie pacing, right? Like stuff is happening, it's going crazy, and then they get to the shopping mall, and like it slows down, and they becomes monotonous, and 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 kind of the pacing is slower. And I think like quite on purpose, yeah. That's that's like that's like part of the commentary right. is like you you become a zombie yourself when you get into a habit. And I honestly think that this movie has something to say for today because we were all stuck in our houses for the whole day all the time. Right. And we got into these probably like really monotonous habits and became kind of zombies. And I think like this movie still connects with that same idea. Right. And so I, I really quite enjoyed uh, the, I kind of think that that like that slowdown of pacing isn't, is intentional and, and interesting because they, the people in the movie went from having nothing to having everything, and then right. their lives became boring because of, because of it, right? And and the yep. movie is a little bit more boring because of it. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of why I uh, that's kind of I think I think I actually think the pacing thing is kind of a a I don't know it's it's an unfair criticism of the movie. I believe I believe that that was very intentional to do mm-hmm. it that way. So yeah, I don't know. It was a uh, 
Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I'm trying to think of who I'd compare Romero to, who just he just has it, right? Like he makes he makes this type of movie with a little twist, right? You know, kind of like each time, but it's still like you know it's a Romero flick, right? Like you know it's a and yeah, and yeah, that he was has kinda, a style and it's a very strong style. Yeah, it does it doesn't age really. I mean, it's like it's just completely timeless. Uh like nothing feels very dated except, you know, it's in a mall. But um, yeah, I mean, Tom, plus I mean, two, it inspired so many things that I love. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to like kind of flip that back around, right? And just be like, well, I like all of these things. These things definitely wouldn't exist without Tom of the Dead. So it's hard to. Uh, I mean, what Tom Savini did with, with in this movie with effects, I think you're right. It like echoes through movies to today, right? So mm-hmm. even though like the makeup, eh, it's okay. The blood is silly looking, like I said, but the but right. the like the the artistry and like the 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 way that like some you know the gore looks like someone's head blows up or stuff like that right is like oh yeah because that in the tenement building scene where that guy's head explodes you guys remember mm-hmm. that so like oh, yeah. that that i mean that is like art like that that and that kind of stuff has echoed through to uh to today so yeah yeah i, I totally agree and, and just a completely different you know completely different kind of like you know like terror right you know like you said right like like they're just stuck there, man. Like nothing. Like, do they even have any like illusions of getting out after you know, like the biker gang shows up? You know, I feel like they try. Like and just... The biker gang—that's a whole other thing to kind of bring back that concept that uh, no matter what's going on, like other humans are always the biggest threat to you. Yeah, they really they screw can... them over. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, and then that that movie came out during like the beginning of the slasher movie rise. Mm-hmm. And so to have kind of this very social commentary, heavy, like thought provoking horror movie to kind of counterbalance it, those movies for a large part went away for a number of years right after that. So I think a lot of the people that, especially when you look to the modern horror revival, they were all looking back on movies like Romero's movies and pulling from it to be able to go like, hey, you know, uh, a horror movie can have more sophisticated themes than just brutality. One thing that really impresses me about George Romero is that he used like no name actors that no mm-hmm. one had ever heard of pretty consistently. And just, they just crush every time. And that's, yeah. he has to be a part of that. Like he is the common thread in all of these unknown actors, just crushing in these movies and, putting on putting in like really good believable amazing performances you know so yeah they're like long-term character actors just um being cast really well for a certain role that they just they hit really hard yeah this do do uh is there a better sequel than this movie um and like yeah i'll say this (laughs) yeah probably the guy who played steven like the he only had his filmography is like four movies yeah, like that. Like the, I mean, like these guys. Seriously, he, I. That's like what the thing I think that's the craziest to me is that he got like these amazing performances out of guys that just they never. These people never did anything else, you know. They'll they'll like. I mean, yes, Ken Forey was he was like a breakout. He did a lot, you know. But these, a lot of these guys just don't don't end up doing a whole lot. This is the what they did, right? You know, they just did this one, uh, one big thing with Romero, and that then kind of. But what a thing around. to be known for, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a great geez. movie. I'm sure the residuals are great. 
because that movie <laughs> that movie has to get played all the time every year. It's oh, it gets all the time. It gets it gets every format. You know, if yeah. yeah, if your format doesn't have Dawn of the Dead, you know, in that first quarter release, like I'm kind of wondering. But yeah, I mean, it's just like you know he, you know, to tie it back in, right? Like Pete Carroll knows how he wants to build a football team. He's going to do it that way, right? Like George Romero knows how he wants to make a movie. He's going to do it, you know, this way, and this is the result, right? And so. You know, it's hard to really, it's hard to really say it's anything less than, you know, that he's anything less than like a visionary. So, yeah. you know, rest in peace, by the way. I know hard it was for, a while ago, but. Uh, yeah. Hard for me to say like much uh, bad about this movie. I mean, I just, it's really enjoyable. Uh, it's a really solid movie. I think I gave it four out of five. So, yeah. And I, and I would not begrudge anyone saying that this is like a perfect five. Like this is perfectly reasonable. Um, well, that warms my heart because that's what. <laughs> That's what I would give it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And then I just want to small plug the remake. I think is solid. It holds up. It's not. Uh, it's not disrespectful to the original. It's not as good as the original. It's a worse movie, but uh, but it's like, it's it's pretty solid. It's working on a similar wavelengths. So James Gunn script. Uh, Zack Snyder directing. So you know. So Zack Snyder couldn't make it too grim. That's right. Because <laughs> James Gunn in, in puts a lot of humor into his uh, his stuff. So yeah, that's um, that's I guys- think. Uh, Big Have shouts! I watch those movies back to back. Like they, they, you won't, it won't be a. Yeah, they're basically like different movies, more or less. I mean, if mm-hmm. we're being honest, right? Correct. But have you guys ever had Slither on any uh, Eliminators, or even mentioned it in passing on the movie uh, club? It's yeah. been mentioned when we did some. Okay, okay. All right, I love right. Slither. I the, just want to make sure I do too. That movie is Doctor Pepper. Doctor Pepper rant is probably yeah. like a top <laughs> twenty movie moment. Abs- uh, absolutely. Period. I will yep, say that absolutely. movie. That movie at the end kind of goes off the rails for me, but like. The the first like hour of that movie is so tight and good that it. Yeah, I saw really that movie in theaters because I was like, "This looks cool," and and that was that was all the thought that I gave it, and I was not disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's it for Kevin, for Eric, we are for Brett, dude. <laughs> one one more for the road. We'll see you next week. Yeah, they- go, go Hawks.